Who is wise? The one who learns from others. Welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. This is a podcast where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond small talk and social media posts we're bombarded with on a daily basis. Join me on a journey where I speak to people from all backgrounds with different perspectives, each sharing their stories, struggles, and successes. Be a part of a community where you connect to something greater than yourself. I'm your host, Karen Corin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to have my next guest, Gila Glassberg, who will be talking about a topic that I think many of you will be very interested in because it's a very big part of our lives. But before we continue, I just want to let you know that you can listen to this episode on the Schmoozy app. The Schmoozy app is an incredible new app where you can have a conversation with other people about the episode. You might have so many questions and comments that you want to make and you don't know where to put them. So Schmoozy is the perfect app for you. You can click the link in my Instagram bio at coach.kk and it'll take you right to the forum of the app. I wanted to let you know that if you listen to this episode on Schmoozy, or if you engage in the forum for this episode, you will be automatically added to the giveaway. What is the giveaway? I will be giving five lucky winners a pair of 12 eyewear glasses of their choice. 12 eyewear glasses are the top anti-blue light lens glasses with high quality and trendy unisex frames. And they've helped to eliminate eye strain, headaches, and poor sleep. So this is a giveaway you do not want to miss. Check out 12 Eyewear on 12eyewear.com. There are so many mixed messages regarding the food we eat, how much we eat, and how to feel about our bodies. It's really confusing when on one hand we're told that dieting empowers us to be in control of our lives, but then on the other hand we learn that dieting is a root of all evil. But lucky for us, Gila Glassberg is on the show today and she is a dose of practicality we all need. Gila is a master's level registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. We talk about how and why she became a nutritionist. We talk about diet culture and its counteractive culture. And we talk about both of our struggles with food and overeating and undereating. In this interview, Gila reveals a secret to her healing, and that's intuitive eating. What is intuitive eating all about? Is it about eating whatever you want? Is it a diet? Is it a lifestyle? Or is it something not really about food? Find out today by listening to episode 38 with Gila Glassberg. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I am so, so excited to have my next guest on my podcast and on her podcast. We're actually doing this together. We're collaborating. Gila Glassberg is here with me today. Gila Glassberg is a certified intuitive eating counselor. Mm -hmm. She has her master's in nutrition, and we're going to explore her journey today on the podcast. It's going to be on her podcast as well. Welcome, Gila. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. We've been wanting to do this for a very, very long time, actually, ever since we met each other at the Kavana conference. Do you remember which, that? <laughs> yeah, which I am remembering now, which was 
over a year, a year ago. A year ago. Yes. February. It was like exactly anyway. a year ago. And lo and behold, COVID hit. And then everything was just virtual ever since then. It's crazy. But, yeah, it's crazy. I'm very happy to see you actually online. Yeah. Thanks for like doing this with me. I'm like so excited. I'm actually very fascinated by your work. We are living in a highly political climate, religion, weight, eating, you name it, it's politicized, our identity. But the body positivity movement is getting lots of positivity, but it's also getting lots of negativity. So mm -hmm. you're an intuitive eating counselor. Can you just tell us why you decided to become an intuitive eating counselor as opposed to just a regular dietitian? There goes my life story. So okay. I always say this, you probably heard me say this, but I'm one of nine. I'm the fourth of nine. And I, uh, my mother didn't always make sure that we ate healthy. She just made sure that we ate. So um, like, I remember, like I reflect on my childhood eating all the time. Cause that's what I do with my clients. But I'm always like, I'm, when I think back to my childhood, I think it was very like laissez-faire, like, um, like eat whatever, whatever's around. Um, we had a lot of like, sorry, mommy, but we had like lots of frozen dinners during the week. She, my mother would cook tons and Travis, but we would eat like, you know, like I, we were, we reminisce about like frozen broccoli quiches with like all that, like cheese and margarine or whatever. Um, I don't even like think I knew like the word diet really, like as a kid, um, I think my parents dieted but they never like put that on us. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I didn't really have anything. Like I didn't think about really what I ate or what I shouldn't eat or I shouldn't be eating this. Um, but I, I actually went away for high school. I boarded in Teaneck. So I'm, I'm an out of town room from Scranton, Pennsylvania, no kosher restaurants there. And, um, and then I lived like a few blocks away from like a pizza store, like all of a sudden. So I like went for pizza every single day. And then um, that summer, like ninth grade, like the summer going into 10th grade, I went to Mosheva. So like, um, I never went to Mosheva until that summer. So when I, when I went, you got like canteen, like I remember eating like a chip witch and like a Gatorade every day. And I'm like, this is awesome, you know? Um, and the funny thing is, is that like that summer, like you just like hike a lot. And I remember thinking, like when I came back, like people made comments that I had gained weight or I felt like I had gained weight. And that was... Um, at that time, like so many of my friends were like talking about dieting and um, like, like everybody's like, I'm so fat, like I'm disgusting. I hate my body. And it was just like, I kind of like absorbed that really quickly. Like, okay, this is what you do like in high school, I guess, you know? And like, we had, we had like competitions, like who's going to lose more weight. And I remember one competition, like it was like one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night. And I'm like, I need to eat pizza. Like, and it was, and my, my friend was like, you can't eat pizza. Like you're like, we're have a competition. I'm like, I don't care. Like, I just felt so deprived. It was so weird. And um, yeah. And then, then like, I just felt really out of control around food. Like I like what, like, what am I going to eat? And like, I like, I need to be on a diet and lose weight. I felt really uncomfortable in my body. And um so what happened was I, I distinctly remember thinking like, instead of cutting carbs or cutting something like candy or whatever, like, I'm just going to try not to eat, which is like so horrible, such a horrible thing to think. But like, for me, that worked, you know, like I had that like sense of control. I lost a lot of weight. I was obsessed with the scale. I would weigh myself multiple times a day, wishing the number was lower and lower and lower. And, um, 
it was pretty scary actually, you know, like I would had lots of food rules and um, it was kind of scary. Like, wow. Yeah. I noticed that you acquire this from your surroundings at school and your friends. Whereas I feel like most people gain this insecurity from their families or the home they grow up in. So I grew up from a very different family than you where it wasn't a laissez-faire type of thing. It was more like everyone was very self-conscious about what they ate mm -hmm. and the food always had to be healthy. My mom always tried to make sure there was no junk food in the house and there was always chicken and vegetables and salad. And there was always this fear like, oh, oh you can't eat that. This is not good. This is this is unhealthy, quote unquote, unhealthy. We can't eat this. It wasn't so much like, oh, you can't eat this food. Like none of us can eat this type of food. Mm -hmm. So listening to your experience, it's very interesting. Like we both felt uncomfortable with our bodies at one point and we both struggled with food and dieting and eating, but it came from a different place. Mm -hmm. I felt like I got it more from like the home I grew up in. No offense to like anyone in my family. Right. I'm not trying right. to like bring them down. It's just the culture right. that we were raised in. And you grew up in a family where eating wasn't an issue. Like eat what you want. Life is great. La di da. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you got it that from like your friends. Yeah, it's actually interesting because um, like my friends were sort of like my family in high school, even though like I love my family, I love you guys if you're listening, but, um, and I'm really close, with, I happen to be really, really close with all my, like all my siblings, yeah, all my siblings were all really close, um, so yeah, that's like amazing, but it during, I wasn't close with them in, as when I was in high school, for sure not, like I didn't even live with any of them, you know, like some like my I have a sister a year older than me she lives in Philadelphia like we didn't even board together like we didn't live together so um yeah that was like I, I went to my friend like if any of my friends are listening like shout out to you I went to their houses every single Chavez like I I was like away you know like I was living with my friends basically um so I guess that really makes sense honestly like I've I've like reflected on this story so many times but like I didn't live at home so like like, I don't know, like, I don't ever plan on sending my kids away for, for school. <laughs> I can't imagine. And like to know, you know, I'm not blaming anybody, but yeah, it kind of just went under the radar, but I wouldn't even say it went under the radar. I would say that I was praised. I was really, really praised. Like if I had seen any of my family members, hadn't seen them for a while or a friend or whatever, like they were like, you got so skinny. Oh my gosh. How did you do it? And that's just like, you know, I was a very insecure child, super, super self-conscious, insecure so to get that type of positive attention, it was like, it was like addictive, you know? At so. what point did you realize that your body wasn't good enough? If you like loved pizza and everything was great, was it during puberty? Was it when you started to notice boys? Like what, at what point did you notice that struggle? I think it was after like I came back from camp that summer and I had I had gained a lot of weight I was eating like a lot that I, I wasn't you know I wasn't like uh, my mom did have rules like she wasn't I think I, I don't remember exactly but I remember like we weren't allowed to bring like candy type of food to school but we were allowed to bring like pretzel type of food you know like 
that type of stuff. I remember coming home from school and like eating like a box of graham crackers because now I like I totally understand. I was like really, really hungry. You know, like kids get hungry at like 4.35-ish. Like I have dinner ready for my kids when they come home. They're hungry for a meal, you know? So if you don't have a meal ready, they're going to eat a snack, snacks right. worth of meals, you know? Um, but yeah, and also, yeah, definitely boys, um, just a lot of that, like, you know, I, I wouldn't say worthiness. I would say just talking. There's a diet culture that women sort of like, or girls. Yeah, let's are, talk about that. The diet culture. Yeah. So, so diet. Well, first of all, diet culture is like woman culture, right? In a way. Not. I'm not saying that men. Men. There, yeah, they there do is, it too, but it's. They more do pervasive. it too. I know. I hear. I hear it now. By the way, and my a lot of my family members who are male talk about their dieting also, but I mean, like, there's a lot of bonding that goes with dieting. Like I would say that I'm thinking like, this is coming out from me right now, but I'm thinking like when I was um, doing that diet competition with a friend, like that was really bonding, you know, like when I'm like saying like, I'm so fat and no, you're not fat. I'm fat or whatever. Like there's a lot of like bonding there. So that makes a lot of sense to me that, you know, teenage girls bond over dieting and, and you just, you feel kind of awkward in your body anyways, because of the stage that you're in, you're not like finished yeah. growing, Yeah. you know? So it's sort of just like perfect breeding grounds for, you know, this, this type of things. Right. So tell us a little bit about after high school. So you noticed that you were eating a lot, um, you were overeating and then yeah. so, what happened so, after so that? What happened to me, what happened to me is that um, I, so I went through this, like, I would say probably borderline eating disorder where I wasn't really eating, lost a lot of weight, got lots of compliments. Um, and so for me, I went away on a trip with my two really good friends. We went to California in 11th grade for our midwinter break. Actually, it was really fun. Um, and I guess like they were kind of seeing how I was eating or how I wasn't eating. And they were like, what are you doing? Like, and I was like, oh my God, I got caught, you know, like, and then I was like, yeah, they're kind of right. Like I'm obsessed. Like I literally, I barely eat, you know, it was kind of scary, but, um, um, knowing what I know now that could have spiraled, but that kind of, that kind of like break sort of helped me to be like, okay, this isn't healthy. So what is healthy? It happens to be like, I was, I was like, okay, I want to be a nutritionist. You know, like when I was in 11th grade, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Like I want to, I want to get into the firm schools. I was like, so into it. And like, I didn't, I was so not a student. Like I barely like got through high school. Like seriously, I barely got through high school. I was, who knows what I was doing in high school, you know, like I didn't live at home. So, um, like actually my oldest sister, Yali, she's a doctor and she was in Queens college when I was in Teaneck. So she was living here actually, like at a friend's house. And like when she saw, she was like a mother to me. Also she, when she saw my report card in ninth grade, she's like, nobody doesn't pass ninth grade. I'm coming <laughs> to school and I'm taking you to study. And she's like, it's really funny. She like took me to Queens college and she's like, you're studying. Um, so yeah, I wasn't a student and I was like, I didn't realize that like a nutritionist is really a dietitian. I didn't realize like it's a real science heavy degree. So, um, yeah, so that, so what happened for me is that like, I, I wasn't in that like eating disorder or mindset anymore, but I was very meticulous about what I was eating. So anyone who knew me, you know, there was like the joke, like I was like, ask you, you know, ask you that what's healthy, what's not healthy, whatever. Um, and in seminary, like I went running a lot, like I exercised a lot. I was very, very meticulous about what I ate but it kind of started to wear off. Like I wasn't, it, it slowly, slowly weared off. 
So I wasn't as like crazy, but like I was still very conscious of what I was eating and very conscious about my weight. I didn't really weigh myself. I think because I had developed a sort of an aversion to it because of what I went through in high school, I was so addicted to the scale. It was like scary. Um, Same. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you're saying is really resonating with me. Do you have a similar experience? I hear you in my story. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to you? Except I don't become a dietitian and nutritionist. I also became obsessed with food. Yeah. I would wake up and I would think about what I'm exactly my eating today. Right. I wrote mm-hmm. everything down, how many calories every right. single right. thing had. I finished breakfast. I would think about what I'm eating for lunch. After I eat lunch, I'm thinking about what I'm eating for dinner yeah. the whole week. Yeah. All my activities and nights out with friends were all revolved around what am I allowed to eat? Right. I also became obsessed with the scale. Mm-hmm. I owned the scale and I was going on it maybe like 20 times a day. Yeah, me too. Before mm-hmm. food, after food. Right. See right. if it made a difference. Yeah. The numbers would yeah. really make a big difference on my emotions. Right. Yeah. You know, if yeah. a number was up, I was depressed the yeah. whole day. Yeah. Number was down, I was happy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's interesting because I, I like sort of like analyze this a lot with my clients. I think that that number, it's just part of us humans wanting to quantify things, you know? So yeah. like if I'm, if I am X pounds and then tomorrow I'm Y pounds, that means that I did something to get there. So I'm um, powerful. You know, I, see, I hear a client say that a lot, like I'm powerful. I have control. I could change my body. I could change anything. You know, it gives you that false sense of control, which is exactly what it is a false sense of control so um yeah so that's where I, I knew I wanted to be a dietitian I wanted to help the firm world I, let me speed up the story because I it's getting like I told it so many times it's boring and not um, at all okay so what happened for me is that I definitely like stayed on like the healthy eating track, you know, like, and, and it was confusing to me. Like I, I felt like when I was being a little more restrictive, I was a little bit more bingy. Like I felt like that happening, but I was still like, I got this, I got this. I just have to learn more. I just have to learn more. So I, um, I actually didn't get into Queens college cause I didn't go barely got through to high school. So I went to Queensboro, then I went to Queens college and I was like, they were telling me all about the nutrition field. And I was like, I can't do that. It's not going to happen. Like that's too much science. But like, there was a part of me that just, I really wanted to do it. I was, so I really pushed myself and I thank God, like I, once I started, I was like, I could do this, but it was hard. It was really grueling for me. And I, I got married while I was in Queens college. I had a baby. It was so hard. And I felt, I remember when I took, when I recently was doing this meditation with Tony Robbins. I know not everybody likes him, but he, he says like, think about a moment when you're proud. And literally like the day that I passed my RD exam, I like was the proudest because it's great. That's great. <laughs> but it slowly came crashing, crashing down because once I started working in the field, I was like, I am the food police. That should just be written on my, you know, my white coat in the nursing home. Like I'm the food police. Nobody wants to tell me what they ate. I was like, this is horrible. Like I knew instinctively or intuitively, like something was up, but I was like, shoot, like I already figured out something was up. And that's why I got my degree in nutrition. Mm. So now what, what do I do now? You know, but people surprisingly like going to a food police because they feel like I need someone to be strict with me. I need someone to be tough, yeah, right? to discipline me. 
I'm not a police. Like, I hate that. I, yeah. I'm very not like that. Like, if, like, it just my personality is very, like, that's not how we, I guess I knew that, like, instinctively, like, that's just not how we grow or change or feel motivated when somebody's like, you ate that? Like, even when I, even yeah. when I'm, I'm imitating, I'm, I'm pretending, you ate that? What's wrong with you? Like, it's, it hurts me. Like, who would only people who were abused would go to a dietitian like that? I'm really sorry to say that <laughs> oh on air, God. but it's an abused, it's an abused model to feel uh, manipulated or scream that into change. It doesn't work. It never works. When you say abuse, it could be even like verbal abuse. A verbal right. abuse, yes. I'm not just yeah. I'm not talking about physical abuse. But my so my story is like a little bit like with a, a little bit of a twist here is that um I was really depressed. I felt really, really depressed. Like what on earth am I gonna do now? after you I, achieve this right I was just like what do I do like I hate my job and like whatever so and also it happened to me my husband was learning in cola and I was like you have to like I felt myself very like attacking him about what he had to change even though he was perfectly happy so that at the same time that I was like all of this I I had recently read the the surrendered wife by Laura Doyle did you read it I I purchased it, but I think I only read one chapter. <laughs> you're not, you're not like a gung-ho fan of Laura Doyle. I did appreciate something she said, but I just, I have tension issues and I just uh -huh. switch books every few months. Oh yeah. You should see but my, I, you should I'm see my dresser with the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should read it. But you I should. do have it. Yeah. But she changed the title. You know, it's an yeah, empowered wife. When I read it, it was a surrendered wife. And I, I am happy to call it that. I don't have an issue with it, but I understand that people do. So tell us some wisdom from that book. Okay. So my sister-in-law, actually, Lonnie, she told me about this book. And I was like, no, nah, I felt so like, ugh, this book, whatever. But when I read it, I was like, this kind of makes sense. Because like, let's say, let's say, for example, like she said, um, there's so many things I can say that are, that are coming up for me, but like, let's say like, we have this fear um, when something's not right in our life, we look to our husbands and try to change them instead of internal, internally, it, it was so much easier for me to be like, you should leave Cola. We need money. than for me to be like, okay, I don't like working in a nursing home and I don't know what else to do because when I look on Indeed and I ask around, everybody says those are the only nursing home jobs. Shoot, 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 shoot. Why did I just spend seven years getting my undergraduate degree and my master's? Now what? So instead of working on this problem, I'm going to nag my husband, right? So um, that was happening a lot. And I remember reading the chapter on self-care, which, which she said, like, it sounds so obvious to me now, but she said like, when you're starting to feel like angry or resent, resentful towards your husband, obviously not always, but sometimes um, check in to see how your self-care is doing. And I was like, what does my self-care have to do with my husband? Like, how does this even, but now it's like super obvious to me. Like when I'm upstairs and I'm like, you never have a dinner and you never, I'm like, okay, I need to go onto my exercise bike. Cause I love to spin. I need to go call my friend. I need some like lotion or something like and then like, it's all good, you know, like even if he didn't help me with dinner, like I could process that or handle it better. So it was all just, okay, that, that was that. Okay. So then I heard this, this is so, this sounds so random, but I heard this parenting lecture by Parola Bromwitz. Yes. I know her too. You know her? Yeah. I've okay. gone to some, some of her workshops. And she's like, the, I heard her speak on tour anytime. And I was like, who is this woman? You know what? Also like I'm one of nine, right? I said this and like, my love language is quality time. 
Mine too. <laughs> really? Yeah. So we should hang out. Yeah, we need to. <laughs> so this is perfect. So I was like, it just clicked. Like things that she was saying, because she talks about the love languages and the surrendered wife. She was the things that I was learning a little bit on my own. She was integrating and she's really funny and she's just very, you know, easy to listen to and she's moving. She's very moving. So I ended up, um, I, I heard her speak um, publicly and I drove her home because she doesn't drive. She's Hasidish. And she was like, I was telling her my whole dilemma, which like now is so funny for me to think about. Like she probably just didn't want to talk. She probably just wanted to like drive home. But I was like telling her my whole life. And then she's like, well, I do private counseling if you wanted to come to me. And I was like, that was sort of like that, you know, the interface where I was saying about my husband and nagging him and being, I was like, okay, I, I, I hate spending money. I have this financial anxiety piece also, but I was like toying with this idea. Like I am going to get to the root of what's really bothering me. Like, is it that I have to make myself like this job or is it that I have to find something else? And that was like, that was like a three-year dilemma, honestly. But the start of finding myself in, in this path was going to peril for a session. Like I always think back to that session and peril I told her all these things and she's like have you ever heard about intuitive eating hmm. and I had never once heard about it wow it just comes to show like there's moments in life and people we meet that really can change our life forever and she really did she is a person who basically made who you are today right but you're practicing today yes she is and I yes I think her profusely if she ever listens to this and even if she doesn't um I like it changed my life it did change my life and I remember saying to her she's like I'm like I hate my job she's like do you ever think in the morning when you get up like I'm like I'm leaving my I'm leaving before they even go to school my babysitter's putting them in the carpool she's like do you ever think as you're walking to your car like I'm a hero and my husband's going to yeshiva and I'm like I never think that once and I don't think that now and like she's like then what if you gave yourself like a deadline like by Pesach if I don't find another job I'm leaving I'm like leaving without another job who's gonna have the health insurance like all this like going back to the surrendered wife like and never like giving my husband the permission to take care of things that like I knew he could take care of or I needed the control, you know? So there was a lot of like this interface of like, that's why I think I do happen to think intuitive eating spills over into all aspects of your life. Parenting, marriage, yes. relationships. Yes. Right. So can you tell us how intuitive eating spills into all these other areas in your life? Doesn't it just have to do with eating? Right, right. So, so the thing about that is I'll just say like, when I was explaining um, this to her, she was like, have you ever heard of like, let's say overeaters anonymous. She was trying to tell me like all these different things about that interface, like nutrition and psychology. So she had heard of Rena Reiser, who's another intuitive eating counselor, who yes. is amazing. And I contacted her and she told me about intuitive eating and we're good friends. And she's taught me so much of what I know. And um, so I read the book, I, I ordered the book that day or whatever. And I read it. I'm like, Oh, that's why I was binging on pizza in high school. Which and book? Intuitive Eating. Oh, the the one by, uh, what's her name? Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rush. Yeah. So I, I ordered the book and I was like, how come I never heard about this? How come this is so well researched? Where have I been? I even like emailed some of my professors in college. I'm like, did you guys know about this? Like, <laughs> 
why is it hidden? <laughs> yeah, like what's going on, you know? So, and also, you know, Rena added me to like a, a WhatsApp chat with other intuitive eating professionals, dietitians and speech therapists and OT. Then I, there was all this connection, like this huge amount of connection that I was definitely lacking in my nursing home job. Um, so, so anyways, so intuitive eating is, um, it's very intuitive, but it's a 10, there's 10 principles and they're all designed to help you heal your relationship with food. So, um, when I work with my clients, the, the authors are very clear that you don't have to work in any specific order of the principles. And they really are not linear at all. They just happen to be, I haven't heard, I mean, when I get into something, I like become obsessed. Like I listen to probably like a million interviews by Laura Doyle and the, the authors of intuitive reading. That's just the way I am. So I remember them saying that like when they wrote the book, the whoever was publishing it said like, this would, this would sell better. This would look better as like 10 principles. So that's really why it's divided. Like that's a little bit easier to digest it, but um, there it's is a no, lot to digest. It is. It's, it's a lot to digest. Yes. I mean, even today I've been hearing about intuitive eating for the last three years and I still, I question it mm -hmm. here and there mm -hmm. because that little voice in my head is still like, what if I want to lose weight or right, 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 right. what if I don't feel good with extra mm -hmm. pounds or yeah. does this mean we can eat everything right. all the time? Yeah. So I still have those voices in my head. Yeah. So that's okay. So let me address that. Yeah. I, and I want to ask, I want to answer your question about intuitive eating and intuitive living. Cause that's a really yes, important. I would love that. So, so I say this all the time to my clients, if you've been surrounded by diet culture for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, one session with me or one book isn't going to change that. It's not the way that our self-talk works, right? That's not the way that our belief system works. It doesn't work like that. But um, if you, let's say, it, it also depends on what your goal is. So if, if you're still um, attached to the idea that like weight loss can be a good thing, or um, wanting to lose weight, like like if I have a simple coming up, I should be allowed to lose weight. That's totally fine. Um, you can't. Well, expect... I don't get that impression sometimes. Right, right. So, so I will say that when I first heard about intuitive eating, I wasn't. I didn't have Instagram. The only reason why I started Instagram was for the business. Yeah. And I question if I still really want to, you know, because of it, it's whatever. It has its pros and its cons. Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> So I will say, let's just compare that to everything. Everything has its pros and its cons. So, um, so diet culture, I'm not going to say diet culture has its pros, but I'm saying I, I learned like, like I came into this field because I was really passionate about nutrition and feeding people healthy and teaching people about their relationship with food. Right. Um, so diet culture is an extreme and then the anti-diet has an extreme side to it too. And I don't believe in either of those sides. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Because you you don't see the nuance. You don't see the in the middle. Right, right, right. You only see one side or the other. Right. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So I understand people who are really, really, really angry at diet culture. And because like I see severe cases in my office that people were abused with dieting. People were abused because they're in larger bodies and it, it's, it's painful. It's painful for me to hear and to even talk about. It's like brings like tears to my eyes because 
it's not people who are in thin bodies or people who have never been manipulated with their with their dieting or their weight they can't even for a second fathom the pain that these people myself included i mean i don't consider myself in a fat body but um just there's i don't a know difference yeah there's a difference but like i i could still like I could still understand on some level, like what it's like to like walk into like a, a store that caters to like smaller bodies and be yeah. like, nothing fits me in this store. So like, I get that it's, it's worse for people who are in like, let's say fat bodies. Yeah, me too. But it's, of course they're angry. And of course they feel like this justice that there's a social um, justice movement. Do I like, think about what happened with um, George Floyd. Was that wrong? Was it wrong to to start hurting people it's we have to have a balance you know what i'm saying like exactly so so i so i could i could i could understand where people are coming from when they're really angry and they're passionately against diet culture i completely understand that's not my stance because i i don't believe in that as as who i am in my value system um but i think that because i feel like it just perpetuates victimhood when people do that right and it doesn't like solve any issues it just polarizes people more and people think that because they're fat they're just blaming it on quote-unquote diet culture and not doing anything to heal themselves right just angry and bitter and blaming society for their problems and not doing anything about it when I say not doing anything about it I'm not saying they're not losing weight Mm -hmm. I'm saying that they're not healing their relationship with food and instead of blaming media and these magazine covers get to know yourself figure it out go to therapy mm-hmm. do what you right. need to do right i don't know Plus, let, let's, my ideas. so think about it like um what i was saying before about the surrendered wife like it's much easier to look outside of yourself and be like that's messed up i'm angry about that and i i totally totally get that and like I guess just to like say I was there, like I was blaming my husband for things that I needed to take accountability for, but like, you know, I wasn't aware of it or I couldn't access myself or for whatever reason, you know? So like, um, I do understand like both sides. And, and, and again, like we don't, we are in a way like privileged in our bodies. Right. So like it's, I hear like the deepest sadness in my office. Like I, I understand yeah. why they could cling to a movement that's, that's that's letting them so I understand that to validate their experience to validate their experience to give them a place to vent and um and I think they're taking it and running with it because like you're kind of like um thin bodies and the thin ideal has been so pronounced so now that there's another culture they're like let's go with this so I understand but people in thin bodies also suffer with poor body image people with very thin bodies think they're obese right a hundred percent right a hundred percent a hundred percent I always people dream to be in their bodies right so I so I have a few opinions about that like I know when I was I before corona I did some um live lectures like in my house by myself with Rachel Tuckman so yeah I remember that yeah so I remember like after the after the workshop and and I get so many like cool ideas from like, you know, when people, when people share their ideas, she, she said like, you know, I have a friend who's really thin and um, whenever she's complaining, everybody says to her, like, you don't have a right to complain because you're thin, which is really horrible. Um, thin people don't have better lives, which just like rich people don't have better lives. Just like fat people don't have 
you know, whatever, they have their challenges. I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just saying like that that's really disgusting that she would be like shamed for being thin or like, you know, discriminated against in a way. Uh, and then another woman like raised her hand that was like really berating her body. Like, I can't look at myself in the mirror. I'm disgusted, whatever. And like someone came over to me after and was like, that woman's beautiful. Like, that's yeah. so sad. I'm like, we all do that. Like, we all have this like horrible inner critic. And like, it's it's kind of just, I don't know. It comes from, it's, you know, I heard Kayla Levin. She has a podcast also. Yes. Um, uh, um, first year married. She said like, the beauty industry makes you feel like you're 20, like you have 20% more to be like beautiful. Like you're 80%, but like, if you get this eyeliner, if you lose weight, if you get that dress, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm so conscious of it now when I listen to marketing, I'm like, they are literally telling me that if I had that cream, like I would make money. <laughs> like they're just like, you know, I understand like marketing, whatever, but like, it's horrible. And we have to be aware of how media, I'm not saying there's any, like I have social media and I get it. Like it, it has enhanced my life. We never would have met, you know, yeah, but exactly. we have to be armed with the awareness that it's hurting us in a lot of ways. And, and like, you know, I have my days where I'm on Instagram and I, I, I could look at your, your following versus my following. And I'm like, yeah, oh my gosh, what am I doing wrong? I need to post more. I need whatever. Like we all suffer from this like comparisonitis and then me, you know, media makes it worse because like, if you think about it back in the day, we didn't have like people to always be comparing ourselves to and like now seeing we're constantly lives. comparing all day long. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's gotten worse. Right. So it's gotten worse. Yes. So, so the, you know, anything having to do with the way that we look weight or not weight has been magnified, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. So how does one start this process of healing their relationship with food at the same time? I get this comment a lot, like, cause I have been promoting intuitive eating, you know, things from your page, Rachel Tuckman throughout social media. And I, I even had social, uh, Rachel Tuckman come to our community one time last mm -hmm. year. And they're like, Karen, but I still want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. I'll do intuitive eating. I'll heal my relationship with food, mm -hmm. but I still want to lose weight. I want to feel confident. Mm -hmm. And when I have extra pounds on me and I feel like I have rolls on my body, I don't feel happy. I don't mm -hmm. feel confident. Mm -hmm. And that affects not just me. It affects my relationships. It affects my relationship with my spouse and just in my, in my job and whatever I do. So can someone balance intuitive eating yet at the same time want to lose weight? So, so the thing is about weight loss, which is an interesting thing. Um, and this is another book I really recommend. It's called Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison. Um, is that we don't actually have any known way to lose weight in a healthy way. Okay. Cause like we actually know that 90 to 95% of people who lose weight on the diet will gain it back within the first five years. And the people who do maintain their weight often do it at a very, very high cost, meaning most of their day revolves around what they eat and how they exercise. So they don't really have a life outside of maintaining their weight. Um, and even weight loss surgery comes with tons of complications. I actually have a blog post on um, Project Proactive. About yes, that. I read that. Yeah. yeah. About uh, the surgery that people do. 
it's weight loss surgery. surgery. Yeah, yeah. Um, if people want to want to read that. Um, so um, you can't really go hand in hand, but like, let's say a client will say like, I still want to lose weight. I'll tell them for me, your goal is not weight loss, but you could have whatever goal you want, but this isn't to lose weight because um, we, we know now that like, um, let's say BMI or it's a, it's an arbitrary number. Like we don't like, there's no, we don't see like that health correlation, like, like the, like the media is promoting, or there's so many other confounding variables that people aren't you know, testing for when they're doing their research or whatever. So um, I think also that like when you have this goal of weight loss and you de you deprive yourself, you almost always have binging or overeating or emotional eating. And it's like compounded because of the dieting because you you start to really, really mix your emotions up with your physical sensations. So like, let's say for example, you're like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not eating pizza and I always eat pizza is my favorite food. Hi, so I'm not... We have so many similarities, Gila. <laughs> yeah, so, seriously. We got to get together and, yes. and have some pizza. We'll have I pizza. make really good pizza. Yeah. I got my pizza maker. Okay. When COVID's yeah. over, you're inviting me over for pizza. Okay. Perfect. Let's try it. <laughs> okay. So let's say, let's say somebody's saying, okay, I'm on a diet and I'm not eating carbs or I'm not eating pizza, whatever. So they deprive themselves. Inevitably they eat the pizza because it's, it only lasts for so long, right? You can't, you're at a party at a somehow there's no, it's a kid's party and there's no food. You were banking on a big salad there. You're starving. You haven't eaten since 10 o'clock and now it's 6 p.m. It's 10 a.m. You haven't eaten and now it's 6 p.m. You're starving and inevitably you eat the pizza. Then you feel this deep, you, you eat it. So you're like, ah, screw it. I'm going to keep eating it. Then you eat three pieces and four pieces and you can't control yourself. You already ate. So you're having some Coke and you're feeling physically nauseous from the from the from the lack of eating then the overeating now you're feeling super guilty and now these two feelings have become intertwined okay so now uh whenever you're feeling guilty you're wondering is this related to my food whenever you're feeling overstuffed you're feeling guilty um when you're feeling guilty at a different time you're it's relating to your body in a certain way so you 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 mix up all these emotions and th this is the way that i work with my clients and it's not always like this, but I found that there's like this general um, process that I could do with my clients, which is like on the first few sessions, it's like unpacking their diet culture history. So like what it was like in their house as a, as a child, were they rewarded for eating or not eating or weight loss or not weight loss, right? Because then people have that issue also where they're praised to eat. Um, and then, yeah. And then we really, I really, really want to help people figure out what does hunger and fullness feel like physically in your body because that's become completely yeah um like skewed because you're you're not you're eating a diet's telling you what to eat when to eat and how much to eat so then when you're off the diet you're doing um what, what they call last supper eating so you're eating even though you're not hungry but you're never going to let yourself have the cake so that yeah. that's just really really confusing for people so i want i i want to physic i want them to physically understand that this is subjective to the person and that um, you have physical cues of hunger and fullness, the more you ignore them, the quieter they get, but we could reinstate them. And we really, I really try to help them practice it. And, you know, I, um, Rena Reiser says this and I love it. Like you could read a book on how to play guitar, but until you play it, it's not the same experientially. So intuitive eating is very experiential. Like I'll have clients say to me like, oh, I would never, if I ate a piece of pizza, if I ate a piece of candy, I would never stop. And then like, 
we get to the principal make peace with food and they're like what happened there was candy and I wasn't eating it and it was so weird I never thought it would happen I thought you were crazy I thought intuitive eating was crazy I never really believed it you know and then I'm like and Evelyn Triboli one of the authors of intuitive eating who's amazing she always would say like the experiential process is the most powerful for us and our clients so a client who is in front of candy and isn't binging on it for the first time since they could remember it's very powerful it's very powerful very powerful yeah I um I'll tell you a little bit about my experience when you were speaking about the binging and the restriction leads to binging. I was doing that for years and years mm -hmm. and years mm -hmm. of my life. Right. Um, I was on every diet you can imagine. Every single diet, you name it, I was on that diet. And I felt like the next diet would be the savior, would right. be the one, that one diet that would get me to my goal weight, mm -hmm. that would make me my dream body. And right. I would achieve all my dreams. Mm -hmm. And then there. what would happen? Every weekend, 2 a.m., parents were sleeping, everybody was sleeping. I go run downstairs and eat everything in the cupboard, in the refrigerator, mm -hmm. in the freezer, mm -hmm. until I felt so sick. Right. And I, I never actually threw up, but- You I, felt like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. to that point and this was happening for years mm -hmm. nobody I'm, knew about it right and i found that i did this often on weekends because weekends were a time when like you know you didn't have something to do there wasn't any structure mm -hmm. and i'll come back from a night out and i felt empty and i had a void to fill mm -hmm. and i i filled that void with food right thank god I'm way, way past that. I can go to a party and there could be a buffet of food and I won't go crazy. Right. I won't be like salivating and like being obsessive over the food mm -hmm. I'm seeing, mm -hmm. feeling I need to finish every single thing I see on the, on the table. Right, right. And I think part of that came when I got married I feel like changing my environment and also the fact that my husband was the first person I dated where I felt comfortable in my own skin. I didn't feel like he wanted to change me, change how I looked. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the past, when I was dating guys, I felt like, oh my God, now I have to like lose so much weight so he can accept me. But I didn't feel that with my husband. It was just, just like, he loved me for how I was. 10 pounds overweight, 10 pounds underweight. I mean, he, I felt that acceptance really helped me on my journey. And the fact that he likes to eat food too, like mm -hmm. that's great for me. Like that mm -hmm. heals my relationship with food that I right. can just enjoy food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, now he's on a diet. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I totally hear that. But um, actually, it's funny because like I hear that a lot with somebody who's struggling with their relationship with food. They're often like there's some model in their life that's an intuitive eater naturally. And my husband's like that. Totally. He never he never went on a diet in his life. He was super athletic in high school. And he I remember him telling me like he ate a box of um by the foot I ate the whole box I'm like what <laughs> but I like know, he, would, right? 
<laughs> he played hockey, you know, like he, he was very athletic. So like totally different, you know, like a growing boy, teenage boy, whatever. But, um, but yeah, that's common that, that like the first for you, that was probably the first model in your life. That was like, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full foods, yummy and move on, you know? Right. So he, like, he, he has no, like my husband also, like he has no concept of like, why would I not eat that? Like if I, or I don't want it, it's, I'm not in the mood. And I'm like, not in the mood, you know? Like now that's, now that's more where I'm holding. Like, and I still, you know, and this is what I do, but I do it because like, I understand the struggle and it doesn't mean that I always feel beautiful in my own body. It doesn't mean that I don't have those diet culture thoughts pop up inside yeah. head all the time, you know? Yeah. And it's a challenge, it's a challenge. But a lot of this is like values-based living. So like what you were saying before about, um, what were you saying about like, let's say your friends wanting to, you know, they say like, I want to do intuitive eating, but I, I, I feel more confident in a smaller yeah. body, right? Yeah. So like a lot of this is asking yourself like what your true values are. And like, so that, that like, let's say I, let's say I use myself as an example. So I'm looking in the mirror and I'm not feeling super positive about what I'm seeing. Right. And I'm like getting really curious about it. Like, Hmm, I wonder why I'm feeling this way. Like did something trigger me? Am I having a different, am I having some sort of emotion relating to my body that has nothing to do with my body. I mean, this is like, this is because I know what to do. <laughs> it doesn't mean I always do it. It doesn't mean I'm always able to do it, but let's say, and then I'll like, hmm, maybe I should like not eat the bread. You know, today I just like, I had chicken for dinner. I just won't eat the bread. And then I'm like, I really, really want the bread, you know? And then I'm like, why would I not eat the bread? Oh, because like diet culture has told me that like, if I don't eat bread, then I'm going to be skinnier. And if I'm skinnier, then I'm going to be more loved and more accepted. And then I have to work on challenging my thought. Is that true? Who's going to love me more? Um, who do I care about who loves me more, right? So I care about the people who I care about and not about who, what people think about. I mean, in an ideal world, doesn't mean that I don't struggle with that um, in reality, but in, intellectually, I know that that's not part of my value system and I'm going to keep working on my thoughts, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. Unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, struggle with that because the people around them, all their loved ones, even people, they have husbands that don't want them to gain weight. They want them to be in a smaller body mm -hmm. because that's how they looked when they got married. And in order to please their husbands and be a good wife, they they need to go on a diet and they mm -hmm. need to lose weight to make their husbands happy. Right. So what would you say to those women? So I can't say that I haven't had those women in my office, you know? Um, I feel torn about that question because I think that there's still boundaries when it comes to a husband and a wife, you know? And um, I don't think that's, it's like, it's like if your husband went bald, like, would you be like, I'll only love you if you like grow your hair back? like right you could you could feel sad that your husband's bald right that's okay you could feel sad that your um that your wife is in a larger body even though it pains me to say that but um I don't think it's anyone's like say what you do with your body that's my that's not everybody will agree with me um but you know you know like like I think I, I think I talk, spoke spoke about this with Ellie Chavales on uh, when I interviewed her for my podcast. But it's like such an interesting thing that we do with kids, right? Like we hear we see them and we're like, "You got so big, you're so much older now, wow!" And like suddenly, as an adult, you're like, "Don't get any bigger, 
Don't yeah. you like, don't change. Still wear your shower brachas clothes. Like what? Like yeah. it's, it's been nine years since I got married. I had three kids. Like yeah. this body has produced three healthy children. Like that's what I want to be thinking, you know? And I'm not saying that that's easy. That's not easy. And that's not always natural, but like, what's my core value is that this is my body and my body helps me walk and it helps me work and it helps me move and it's helped me birth three healthy babies. And yeah, I have stretch marks because I'm a woman that had three healthy babies, you know? Yeah. And even if I didn't, so that, and, and I tell client, you know, if you, if you followed me on Instagram, you know, that I write on my bedroom wall. Yes. I, <laughs> I'm very visual. So if this is um, a struggle for you, write it where you're, where you'll see it often enough to remind yourself that this is my core value. Because like I said before, if you've been surrounded by diet culture and you've been surrounded by voices telling you you're not good enough at this weight, you better combat that with positive voices. If you want to see a change in your, in your mind, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I wanted to make a comment about what you were saying about when kids are younger, like, wow, you got so big in, right. in, in Farsi, you say, mashallah, like, wow, like, beautiful. And when you said the opposite happens when they're adults, like, no, right. you have to be smaller. Right. So it's also the same thing when kids are younger. I grew up in a culture where you're like, you have to finish your plates. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In Farsi, they're like, bukhor, 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 right. like, eat, right. eat, 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 right. you have to finish. Right. My grandmother, right. I remember, like, her chasing around with, like, mm -hmm. a spoon of rice. You have to finish your horash. Right, 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 right. And then there's a certain point when you turn like 16, 15, 16, 17. And it's like, no, don't finish your plate. You have to be a lady. Mm -hmm. You're not like an animal that you have to finish your plate. Right, this mixed so message. It's, yeah, it's the, that mixed right. message that we we're talking right. about. So it's right. interesting right. that you said that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something interesting that I say this often is that um, did I just post about this on Instagram that our, our belief systems, right? We don't choose our belief systems as children. We just absorb them. So, so that's why I always go back to the childhood and the memories about food. And it's very, um, like I said before, it's very experiential. You'll, you'll bring up a memory about your childhood or your mother's food or, um, your mother's lack of food or your dieting days or um, how you bonded with food or how you bonded with dieting, right? Um, but so, so the belief system isn't your choice as a child. We just absorb it. Just like you don't decide to be firm, orthodox as a child. It's a belief system that we absorb. Now, what I like to do with diet culture or anything is that I say, we're taking the contents of the drawer out and we're dumping it on the table. And this is, you're going to observe observe, observe your belief system that you've absorbed. And as an adult, you get to choose what do I like and what do I not like? Does that mean that it's going to switch because you've decided that's not what it means, right? Because if it, you have been programmed to have this belief system, but you do have a choice if you want to continue with that belief system enter intuitive eating. So I'm giving you a health at every size, um, anti-diet. I'm giving you a new belief system. And, and I've heard other dietitians say like, try it on, you know, like see how it feels. Like um, maybe it's not completely aligned with your values. Do, do you have, is there nuance? A hundred percent. Do you have to try it on and see where it fits you and where it doesn't fit you and how it works in your life and how it doesn't? A hundred percent. But um, yeah, this is, you get to choose. That's your, your belief system. I really love your approach. 
I just feel like you're so balanced. I'm seeing so much, just like so many extremes. Mm-hmm. And like when people are pushing an agenda, I'm just like, it's too much. Right. It's way too much. And I'm here talking to you. You believe in health, health, at, every health yeah. at every size. Health at every size. And you're bringing it up in such a practical way and saying like how you can choose to do this and that it's all about like your values. And I love the way you're bringing it up. You're not like forcing me. You're not like angry. And I just feel like this anti-diet culture, culture. I know. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of anger behind it. Right. And it's not really like, inspiring or motivating people to not go on a diet right right and and not only that like it's everyone's is autonomous to make a decision whether or not they want yeah like if someone wants to go on a diet because they want to feel good about themselves why do we have to get involved right why do we have to tell them what they can eat or can't eat or how they have to tell other people what to do. I understand like there's certain people that push diets on other people, but maybe those people want a diet. Right. Right. Do you find anything wrong with that? So I'm not like a believer of like unsolicited advice in general. Like I don't think anyone really likes that. Like, you know, just like if you're in shul and somebody would come over to be like, didn't you know you have to cover your hair? You'd be like, can you not talk to me like that? I'm an adult. So like, it's the same thing with, which I think is disgusting. I don't think anyone should ever do that. I think that we never, um, I don't want to get into such an intellectual conversation, but I remember, um, you know, Peril going back to her. I, I love her. I love everything, everything she says. And she says, I'm going to be reading her books now. <laughs> oh my gosh. So she says, um, Bechira choice is um, 49% of things are too easy and 49% of things are too hard. And then there's that 1%. Does that make up? two percent whatever 49.4 and there's that one tiny like sliver of of um percent that's where you're gonna struggle but not too much right so um so I've like so she's she's very funny so she says like let's say so um somebody would come to you and be like uh Gila you know I have a fridge in my basement can you please help me move it and you'd be like um I'm really sorry but like I cannot help you move a fridge you know and they'd be like make you feel really guilty like your mother would have helped me what's wrong with you you'd be like I just like I hope you have enough emotional intelligence to say I'm really sorry but no I cannot help you move a fridge up a flight of stairs so that's going to be too much for you right so um so what what my point is is that that's giving me a lot like a really nice metaphor for like we literally never know what people are struggling with what anything that's going on in their lives I know that firsthand and um yeah you know if people feel like they're gonna feel better on a diet do I agree I don't agree but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't do it what is it what does me agreeing or not agreeing have to do with it do I think that people get this false sense of worthiness because they lose weight and people compliment them yes but do I believe that it's false do I believe that if I were to lose weight and people were to compliment me and I were to feel really good good about myself I hope that I could have enough emotional intelligence to say, I want people to think of me as somebody who's smart and intelligent and a good mother and a hard worker. What does my body, what does my weight have to do with anything? Right? I want that. It doesn't mean that I always feel like that, but that's what I want. So if somebody doesn't feel like that, 
it's sad. I feel sad for them. But do I say something? Do they want my advice? They didn't ask me. You know what Peril says? Like, did I get paid to give a lecture? If I didn't, I close my mouth. Like, no one's paying you to give that advice, you know? So like, it's different when somebody pays me and I come and speak, you know? But like, yeah. So, and, and again, like, I think my approach is very much like self-compassion and, and compassionate. Like, I understand why women sit around talking about their dieting. It's very bonding. Maybe it's very sad that they have nothing else to bond over. Isn't that sad? It's not just dieting. It's also just anything about how they look. Right. But it's, it's, we don't, I don't want that for my girls, for my daughter, you know? So right. I don't, I don't want to perpetuate that. I think it's, I understand why women do it, but it, I think it's sad. And that's why I do what I do. And that's why like Rachel Tuckman and I were just talking about something that like somebody, she, she's amazing. She posted something and somebody was like, because of you, I practice different or because of you. And I was like, thank you for telling me that. Cause some days I do feel like I'm, I'm swimming upstream. And, and sometimes the people who are more intense, get more engagement get more followers. That's never my approach. I'm very middle of the road, you know? So like, that's just, that's just the way I am. And I think that positivity and growth and self-compassion breeds change. I don't think that yelling at someone, yelling at yourself, being harsh, it might make a small change in a tiny way for now, but it will never make lasting change. Doesn't, it? it's not motivating. I love that. I love that. And I'm seeing from you that you believe in change, but the change that you are supporting is internal change. Right. It's a change that comes from within, whereas our, our culture is constantly telling us to change. Mm -hmm. Change your hair, change your okay. looks, change, change your, your weight. weight. It's quantifiable, right? It's okay, all quantifiable. Even yeah. Even if you, even... Is it? Yeah. Even if you, even if you worked on yourself for a year doing intuitive eating, I don't see the number changing. You look the same, right? But that's not. How yeah. And it's the same thing with religion. Right. When people go for the gap year in Israel, or they go to seminary. Are people looking about how you change your midot? Right. About how you grew as a person, how you developed your relationship with God, or are they saying, "Oh, she's dressing, she's dressing Sanua now." Right. Right. is oh now she's deciding to cover her hair right you know people think i'm religious because i'm wearing hats every day right but do you, do you know my relationship with god right do you know how i act in in private mm -hmm. like how do you know i'm religious so even with religion it's based on what you appear to be how you right. look right which is which is normal because we don't we can't really I mean, sometimes we could tell if somebody changed internally because by the way they're behaving, but like as humans, we do like to quantify things and we do like to, the numbers and the comparing. It's just kind of the way our brains work. So it makes sense. But that's why this work, like you asked me before, like this is very deep, hard work. And so many of my women are like, I can't believe I'm crying to my dietitian. I'm like, you're the fourth person today. Like, this is really hard to say like, wow. Or what about the woman who said like, I've been dieting for 20 years. Like, I can't believe this was like false. Like I gave my life to this. It's that's really hard. It's really painful, but like, okay, what did it help you? You know, how did it serve you? What could we do with it? What did you learn? And, and then we move past it. You know, you're not just a intuitive eating counselor, but you're also helping people connect with themselves I mean, which is what intuitive eating is all about. 
it's not just about the food you're eating. It's, it's about being curious. Why are you acting the way you're acting? Why are you feeling a certain way? Why are you reaching out for that? Are mm -hmm. you really hungry? Right. Or do you feel full right now? Right. All connected to everything else that you right. were talking about. Right. It's very interesting. Right. And that's why the skills that you learn with intuitive eating, you get to learn with life skills. Like you get to ask yourself, like, do I really want to go with that person? How does that person make me feel? Is my gut telling me something? Is it not? You know, and like, maybe we never, we never got to really listen to those, those cues and our bodies tell us a lot of things. Right. You mentioned something before about um, eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. Mm -hmm. with intuitive eating is it ever okay to eat when you're not hungry yeah so totally so I'll say that um, a lot of intuitive eating people like they sort of like take what they want leave what they don't but like I don't mean that in a good way I mean like they're just like <laughs> there's a principle like make peace with food which is sort of like exposure therapy and people just like are like oh that's intuitive eating that's like one you know one part of intuitive eating but like with hunger and fullness people turn that into a hunger fullness diet it doesn't mean that you only can eat when you're hungry and you, you have to stop when you're full. I'm sorry, that's my victory alarm. <laughs> um, <laughs> What's so, a victory alarm? We'll learn about that later. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> so that, that's from Carol also. So, um, so, so basically with hunger and fullness, right? So um, I, I try to help people understand like what hunger feels like in their body. Like I was saying before that dieting turns off those cues and it, it, we, we, we learn a lot of mistrust, uh, like not to trust what our bodies are telling us. So first of all, a body needs to be fed every two to three hours, most people. And, um, and there's different, there's meal hunger and there's snack hunger. There's different variation uh, of hunger. Maybe you're completely empty, like on a fast day, or maybe you're what we call polite hunger. Like you're looking forward to like a satisfying meal. So really honing in on how you're really feeling physically is going to help you match what you need at that meal. And the same thing with fullness, which I'll, which I'll just say interestingly is that clients tell me that it's much easier to feed themselves when they're hungry than to stop eating when they're full. And that's a whole different story because they, they're, um, the pattern of overeating has yeah. become, has served them in a lot of ways. Um, feeling like, even though they know they're not on a diet that one day they'll be put on a diet. So they're afraid. Um, so then, then there's like um, this like practical in between where you're like, I'm not really hungry right now, but I'm going to a show in an hour and everybody else is eating. So I'm going to eat. That's practical. And then there's like, of course, um, there's an, an emotional eating component, which is beautiful, which is like, uh, like I always say, like when it a gets a bad strong, rap, usually it gets a really bad. Yes. So like, like you when you shouldn't baby, ever eat when you're emotional, right. you shouldn't ever right. eat when you're sad. I'm like, mm, bar of chocolate is pretty good when I'm sad right now. Right. Right. And also <laughs> like, think about it. Like when I'm happy, what about like at people's weddings or at people's whatever funerals, or when somebody's sick and you bring them a meal, food is love and comfort and joy. And um, what about like our traditions, like uh, as Jews, it's yeah. everything. It's Hashem, like I say, like Hashem made us have to breathe and he made us have to eat, but eating is pleasurable for what, yeah. for a reason, right? So when a baby's born, a baby will drink from his, from his or her mother, either, either a bottle or formula, I mean, a bottle or from his mother. And, um, he's getting 
like lactose, sweet milk, and the baby is getting so much more than the nutrients. The baby's getting love and comfort and closeness and being taken care of, right? And um, hundreds of emotions that a baby learns all throughout the first few minutes of birth and even in utero and all those things. And, you know, and um, how excited do we get when we give our child their first meal and they're putting it in their mouth and they're trying to make sense of it it's so much connection. Like it's such a beautiful thing. So do we associate emotions with food? It's just natural. It's just part of life. And sadly it's become a sad thing, but it's yeah. a really, really beautiful thing. So I'll say like using food to cope with your emotions. Some of the time is a beautiful thing. If, if it's the only way you know how to cope with your emotions, you're definitely being negligent of your emotions. Right. Okay. So that's where I come in and I start to help you. Why did you eat? Were you hungry? Were you emotional? Or was it something else or a combination of, you know, is it habit? Is it just there? Do you have to move it? Are you tired? Are Sometimes you just self-care? Right. Is, is self-care. it your only form of self-care? Is it your only form of pleasure? So then if it's your only form of pleasure, you're going to be more food seeking. Right. And let's say with the love languages, which I talk about a lot is like, what is your love language? And can you fill your love tank? Because maybe food has filled that for you. Right. Or like if you're, if someone's going through a divorce or somebody has, has lost someone in their life, food's a constant best friend. It's always there. So that's real. It sounds like dramatic, but that's real. I hear that all the time and I can relate to that. Right. So like, um, you know, like, as you know, like my mother passed away like two and a half years ago and it was very sudden. And my, my son was born a few days later. And I remember saying to my husband, please get me some ice cream. And he didn't come home with it. And I was like, that was the oh only God. joy of my day today. Like, but like, I, I was completely aware that that was an emotional thing, but like, I gave myself the grace, like, like yeah. I needed that, you know? So like you said before about like the chocolate, like that's, that's okay. Like, yeah. that's okay. Sometimes you're going to use chocolate and sometimes you're going to call a friend and sometimes you're going to get a really good cry. And sometimes you're going to do something destructive, but like, we're, you know, it's, we're, we're humans. Like we yeah. need that grace basically. I love that. I love that Gila. You like, I could do like part two and three. No, I really wanted to interview you. I don't even no, know how you no. started your podcast. I don't even know. How, not about you me. Well, you're going to come. You. Are you going to come on my podcast next? Hopefully one day, God willing. <sighs> okay. It's the listeners to listen to your perspective, your journey and what you do to help people not only heal their relationship with food, but heal their relationship with themselves. And I'm seeing that intuitive eating is not just about food and eating. It's about Mm self-care. It's about self-care. If there's one piece of advice you can give to our listeners about food and life, what Mm -hmm. would that be? one piece of advice oh gosh um to end off that end off the show (laughs) oh gosh because I could like I don't know how to give people one piece of advice I would say read the intuitive eating book please read it don't comment on my things I mean like I don't get it read it please read it um because there's so much information in there um read it take notes highlight yeah and your book this is what I say which came up a lot in the session is that again if you've been surrounded by diet culture like 
immerse yourself in intuitive eating culture, like in a positive way, like listen to my podcast, listen to Evelyn Trivoli's interviewed a bunch of times. Rena Riser has a podcast. Um, there's an, there's a Facebook group for firm women. Uh, yes. intuitive eating. I uh, actually have a different question for you. It just came yeah. up now that you yeah. said that. Go for it. Okay. What's one piece of advice you would give to women who want to perhaps start this journey of intuitive eating, but who are surrounded by diet culture, whether it's in their family, their mm -hmm. friends or community, how can they, you know, start this journey when everybody is not on that journey? So that's a really good question. Um, I guess it's, it's it would be an individualized type of answer, but I say like, sometimes I do like liken this to like, let's say becoming from something like that. Like that's like really hard. And, and I, I grew up from, but like, let's say like I have friends who didn't grow up from and like everyone around them is like, you know, like eating non-kosher, making fun of them or whatever. And they're like, well, my value system is telling me that this is what I want. So like, I'm not going to say that it's easy. I'm really not going to say it's easy. It's not, but like, and, and you could do this very slowly, you know, and you could see like, also like, you don't have to shove this down people's throat. I know people like to do that, but like, this could be a private journey. This could be something that you take on one principle at a time Buy the intuitive eating workbook. It has amazing, um, practices and it's like $15 on Amazon. It's like amazing. And listen, like, like definitely, even if you are surrounded by diet culture, continue to do what I just said, like, like that's been one of the best pieces of, of advice that I've given. And I've heard that feedback from clients. Like I listened to podcasts, like journal, I read the book. I read Christy Harrison's book, you know, like anti-diet. Um, I only follow intuitive eating accounts. Like, you know, like notice like where you're starting to feel triggered on Instagram. Like that's, it's really hard. Cause you know, Rachel Tuckman says like hate following someone. I'm like, yeah, that's the real thing. You know, like yeah. it bothers you and you feel triggered and whatever, but like we like drama, I guess, but like if the stronger your boundaries are in a realistic way, like, I don't mean, please, I don't mean isolate yourself. I just mean the stronger your boundaries are in a realistic way, the better off you're going to be, which is hard, but worth it. Yeah, that's so true. Who you surround yourself with is so important and it does impact your, your journey as well. Yeah. And if, I, if you were, you're saying like intuitive eating makes you live more like intuitively, sometimes people quit their jobs and sometimes people make new friends. And that's really sounds dramatic, but sometimes that's like a wake up call. Like, who am I surrounded by? Goodness sake, you know? Wow. Wow. We're going to end it with that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Gila, where can people find you? Okay, so you could go to my website, www.gilaglassberg.com. It's just my name. Um, you could, um, look, I have lots of resources there, podcasts, blog posts. You could contact me through my website or you could email me, gilaglassberg18 at gmail.com. And I'm on Instagram at gila.glassberg.intuitiverd. I also have a podcast called Get Into It. Get it? With yes, Gila. I love it. You guys should listen to her podcast. And check out her website, gilaglassberg.com. Gila, thank you so much for being on the show today. I look forward to having more conversations with you. And I look forward to coming over for pizza one night. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and feel free to reach out with feedback and questions. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk and check out the link in my bio. Let's connect.